Many have come to the pulpit of Ebenezer Church. We've had presidents before. President Jimmy Carter has stood in this pulpit. President George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama. But this is the first president, the first sitting president, to deliver the sermon on a Sunday morning. Mr. President, the choir's going to warm it up for you. That's how we Baptists do. And then the next voice you will hear is that of the 46th President of the United States, Joe Biden. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, January 17th. Hoping you all had a wonderful long weekend. That clip you just heard was from Pastor and Senator Raphael Warnock introducing President Biden at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta on Sunday, as he became the first sitting president to give the Sunday sermon at Martin Luther King's historic church, where he served as senior pastor until his assassination in 1968. During his sermon, Biden called Martin Luther King one of his only political heroes since entering public service and talked extensively about the need to protect and strengthen democracy, support voting rights, support the work for racial justice. He noted that there's a question, quote, are we a people who choose democracy over autocracy? You couldn't ask that question 15 years ago, right? You would have thought democracy was settled, not for African-Americans, but democracy as an institutional structure was settled, but it's not, said Biden. He's promised to take extensive action on voting rights. He noted, and other members of the Biden administration noted over the weekend, that there is not much more the executive branch can do on voting rights, given the fact that Congress failed to pass the For the People Act or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act last year, and now there's a split Congress. There's little to be done. Although Martin Luther King III, MLK's son, uh, said over the weekend that the country is going to get there on voting rights and deliver on his father's legacy. He noted that voting rights restrictions that plague his home state of Georgia and elsewhere are tragic, and he underscored the importance of a climate where people have unfettered access to the polls. So it was a weekend of a lot of conversation and discussion and calls for reform, but also some honest reckoning with what is possible in this divided Congress. I think we're going to be hearing that kind of split between calls for change and limited action on some of these fronts in the coming weeks and months. Other things to note, you know, we've had Biden's visit to uh, Georgia came amid a steady drip of revelations about classified documents um, after his time as vice president. There's growing kind of criticism about the lack of transparency and frankly, growing concern amid the Biden administration that they have lost the chance to really use this kind of string of positive events, you know, cooling of inflation and other as a launch for his reelection bid. 
and the kind of clumsy PR strategy related to the disclosure around the now 15 to 20 documents has really squandered any hope of drawing a line between Biden's cooperation with authorities and Trump's months of resistance over his haul of hundreds of pages of classified material. What we've got is you had this kickoff. There were 10 classified documents found at his private office at the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy, which were actually found on November 2nd, but not revealed until to all of us until last week. Since then, the president's personal attorneys have been going through additional locations, including Biden's personal residences, for additional government records. And since they don't have security clearance, following a standard search protocol that then turns things over to the FBI. I've now had two more moments. I'm going to say, oh, we found more documents. Oh, we found more documents. And while there is a clear difference, every document the Biden team has found has been immediately turned over proactively to the National Archives. They have called and followed security protocols. They have not resisted anything. Uh, Attorney General Garland has now, despite that, appointed a special prosecutor to investigate the Biden classified documents in the same way that Trump has a special counsel probe. And it really complicates the political dynamics of this, especially with Republicans taking over the House and all of a sudden using this as the new way to launch a series of investigations and grandstanding, trying to drown out the issues with Trump by calling them all the same. It's kind of a classic scenario. One small scandal could set off a whole you know, series of investigations and leaks that could consume the next year or two of the Biden presidency. On one hand, a small issue, but on another hand, potentially dramatic in terms of its political implications. Beyond the classified documents, this week has been a quieter week overall in terms of democracy issues. The political class is mostly talking about who's running for which primary. We've come through 2022 general elections. We've come back into 23. We've passed the holiday vacations. We start to see people coming out early for which races are they running, trying to become the front runners for various Senate races and governorships, but not really a democracy implication yet. The one election that does have a real democracy implication that I think is worth us all paying attention to is the Wisconsin Supreme Court. So there are two progressives and two conservatives running for the primary, which is on February 21st. And then the general election is April 4th. This is perhaps the most critical election for the future of American democracy this year, and particularly in the first half of the year. And I say that it sounds quite dramatic to say that about a Wisconsin state Supreme Court seat. But you've had traditionally a conservative over the last few years, a conservative state Supreme Court majority, quite reactionary. The, there's a uh, conservative justice stepping down, which means this election could shift the balance of power on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Huge implications in-state on issues from abortion to environmental protection that will come up before the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And huge in-state and national political implications because of redistricting. You're seeing national groups um, from the Republican State Leadership Committee to the National Democratic Redistricting Committee planning to play big in this race. And that's because if one of the progressive candidates wins in the general election in April. You're likely to see new litigation about the gerrymandered uh, state and congressional districts, but the state legislative districts, which are highly gerrymandered, if they are overturned by a more progressive court, would restore a more fair map, 
which likely means with a fair mat, Democrats have a competitive chance or even favored to win a majority, which means you would then see passage of voting rights legislation. You would see passage of other things which could really flip Wisconsin from being a battleground, mostly a battleground because it has been drawn that way over years to the underlying demographics and ideological shift would give Democrats an advantage in a fairly run Wisconsin election process. Uh, you could see Wisconsin flip to what Michigan just flipped to last year, trifecta Democratic control. Um, and the last thing about Wisconsin is because of campaign finance law changes that were pushed through by former Republican Governor Scott Walker, you've got the ability to give unlimited amounts to the state parties. There's a very high level of coordination between state parties and races, um, which means these ra this race is likely to be the most expensive state Supreme Court race ever. You're already hearing conversations about 30, 40, 50 million, and it's justified because of how important this race is to the balance of power, which affects redistricting which affects a key battleground state in the country, which has implications for the presidency, which has implications for the U.S. Senate, as well as incredible implications for the people living in Wisconsin for their day-to-day -day lives. So really something worth paying attention to if it's something you want to get involved in. One for Democracy is happy to support people who are trying to help support pro-voting rights candidates to win in races like this. Um, we'll have more to share in the weeks to come. Something to pay attention to. Last thing I want to talk about today is, you know, just the first inning, the first take on the very high stakes fight over the debt ceiling. You saw um, the secretary uh, come out and say that uh, Secretary Janet Yellen from Treasury came out on Friday and said that they are likely to hit the debt limit this week. So on Thursday, then they'll be able to take extraordinary measures to keep paying creditors who own U.S. government bonds They've had to use extraordinary measures now a number of times over the last couple of decades. These extraordinary measures are becoming less extraordinary, sadly. And those should last somewhere into at least early June, perhaps even July or August. But sometime this summer, there will be a final moment where if there can't be resolution, the U.S. government might actually default on its debt, which people have talked about it could shake the foundations of the global financial system send the whole world into a recession, let alone its impacts for years or decades to come for the American economy. Um, it's both the threat of a crisis, but also the elimination of the faith in the U.S. government to pay off its debts and time. And that will be incredible debate, and especially with the far-right Republicans getting those concessions from McCarthy in order to vote him to be Speaker the dynamics of what's going to happen are anyone's game. Can there be passage of a debt ceiling amendment without some massive spending cuts or some other you know, dramatic result? We don't know. Would moderate Republicans team up with Democrats to overcome the far-right conservatives in the House, the 5 to 15 people who might tank the global economy as their ideological fight? Not sure. It's going to be a real test of American democracy, American legislative abilities, and a question of how is our system, who's now got this small but very impassioned group of far-right elected officials in the House, going to impact you know the future of the American economy? So not the first time we've talked about it, definitely won't be the last. It'll be a theme and something to really focus on. Hope 
it ends up being a non-event, but likely it will be a major event in the coming months. So that's all for this week's review of American Democracy. I uh, wish I could leave you with more high uh, optimistic information, but at least some things to keep paying attention to. And I look forward to talking with you again next week on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Take care.